from Rixie, this is Frameform, a show about movies, moving, and everything in between. I'm Hannah Weber. I'm Jen Ray. And I'm Claire Schweitzer. Hello. Welcome. How are you doing, audience people? It's good to hear you, even though I can't hear you, but I can hear my two other friends on the line here, Jen Ray, Claire Schweitzer. It is Wednesday. How are you? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Just um, feels like one of those, um, feels like a time where the, um, I was actually speaking with a colleague about this uh, recently, where the to-do list doesn't exactly seem to be decreasing. And it kind of just seems to be metastasizing at this point. <laughs> it's compound interest somehow. Yes, exactly. We are surviving. Yes. Mm -hmm. And hopefully all of you are too. Please, people, you got this. Take some deep breaths. Have a glass of water. And sit back and relax and listen to this episode. We have a great show for you today. We're talking about one of my favorite things, which is music videos. I think we could all really hear that we love music videos. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. I will have to say this is the most digestible discussion that you will probably understand because everyone has seen a music video. That's just a statement. That's just a statement there. And if they haven't, how are they listening to a podcast without having seen a music video in their life? I mean, we're spanned with YouTube. You know, the front page, the trending page always has at least one music video that just came out recently. And you probably heard that song on the radio. So obviously it's popping. I mean, I remember like there was a good two, three years when I actually woke up to VH1. So like I, you know, wake up as music videos as a regular part of my diet, which considering some of the music at the time maybe wasn't exactly the greatest thing ever. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we were discussing recently that um, the mid the aesthetic of the mid 2000s was kind of just dumb. So <laughs> It was trash. To quote oh, Allie's mother from The Notebook, speaking of the 2000s, the early 2000s were trash, 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 not for you. <laughs> oh, gosh. We were all trying to figure it out. But other than that, before we jump into things, you know what I'm going to say. What are you watching lately? Well, I actually saw um, a really interesting movie as of late. Um, I've been very behind in my movie watching. But a really interesting movie I saw recently was a film called The Vast of Night. And hmm. yeah, this was a film that actually didn't come on my radar until maybe a few weeks ago. Um, apparently it had some festival screenings in like late 2019 and some theatrical screenings in early 2020. So I guess it's Oscar eligible at this point, which... Technically, a lot of films are not, <laughs> but it's a very, yeah, an interesting science fiction movie. I guess the best way I describe it would be like if someone tried to create a modern or not necessarily modern reinterpretation, but reinterpret like a Rod Serling era Twilight Zone episode with modern technology. Oh, OK. OK. It's very low budget and... It's one of those things where um, the sci-fi elements kind of work their way in gradually. Like it's all centers around like this high school basketball game in the 1950s. There's an utterly incredible tracking shot like halfway through the film. I mean, the film honestly is worth watching just for that shot alone. But uh, but yeah, I strongly recommend it. Where did you watch this? Oh, Amazon Prime. OK. All right. That is not the first time you've mentioned Amazon Prime. And I have to applaud your patience because Mark and I joke about this. Like every time we sit down to watch something, the amount of time we spend scrolling and clicking through screens and be like, I don't know, just let's think of a keyword of something we might want to watch. There needs to be a randomized button on like all of the black box or whatever applications you're using, Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Prime Stick, like, just, like, put on something random. Surprise me. Well, you can't even get, like, a full list with some of these. Like, I know with Netflix, you can't just say, give me A to Z or Z, the entire Netflix library. It's just not possible. It's just constant algorithms and browsing. It's very strange. 
Well, I'm lucky that I'm, well, thanks to the pandemic, I'm currently living with my parents and I'm currently leeching off their Xfinity subscription. So (laughs) there you go. That's the key there. These are perks. Claire, are you a sci-fi person? Do you enjoy or mostly watch sci-fi films? Oh, yeah. I'm a huge sci-fi person. I was like, I was one of those like Doctor Who people in college, like as in like I dressed up as Doctor Who characters. You're like, no, like really officially one of those Doctor Who people. (laughs) Yeah, still am. You go, girl. I am not someone who's really into sci-fi personally. I, I like Alien. And then there's some sci-fi films that I enjoy. You know, 2049, great. And then the original Blade Runner, great. But it's not my first choice. I'd rather go for uh, a drama, a foreign, a comedy. What about like a genre crosser, like something like Under the Skin, for instance? Yes. Yes. But that's like, you know, that's like, yeah, indie sci-fi. I'm down with that. I like sci-fi that uses special effects and is kind of campy, like, you know, just like Cronenberg or I tend to like sci-fi conceptually more than I like actually watching the whole movie. I do think sci-fi is a really can be a very smart genre. I think it can have interesting commentary, but almost like understanding what the themes and the symbolism is or like what the metaphors of the movie are is almost more satisfying than watching the whole movie. I know that, you know, it's kind of not the way that's intended to watch them. Obviously, you should watch the whole thing, but I tend to like them conceptually best. Right. I mean, they create these interesting worlds, and some of them are sort of like these idealized worlds, like one that you'd really want to live in or that, you know, provides parameters that aren't possible in our immediate reality. And, you know, the communities are built around that. Here's a sci-fi I think we all would love if we've seen it. Wally. Yes. <gasps> yes. <laughs> right? Very that's well a crossover. Done. That's a crossover. Yes. It's like a romance. It's obviously a kids slash family movie, but I love Pixar and Disney. Huge fan. So pretty much love everything. But that movie makes me cry. It's so beautiful. Oh, absolutely. It's so good. Yeah. And very interesting commentary on culture and laziness. And that's actually a segue to what I've been watching. Not the same themes, but being a commentary on culture, I saw, so on Facebook, I just saw like a quick clip from this Netflix movie called Feel the Beat, and it was a little bit from a dance competition, and it was a satirical take on it, and you could see the audience being like, oh, this is so inappropriate, and and reacting to it, and then, you know, those token parents being like, oh, yeah, work girl! That's like, actually so problematic, and, but... I saw that clip from the movie and I thought, okay, if that's just a clip from the movie, maybe there's more to it. And this is a dance movie that actually deals with these issues. And it kind of does. I was really impressed. I do tend to like new stuff that comes out so I can talk to my students about it. And not to just, you know, because I have nothing else to talk to them about. I can talk to them about other stuff. But it's, I think that I really care about the kind of media they're watching. And so often I'm disappointed or worried and I see the kind of stuff they see and and how dance is used. And it's usually very problematic. But this was such a great example and just like fun acting and definitely like a good dance movie. And let's face it, most dance movies are pretty campy. But this one is it's not like poorly acted and campy or messed up continuity and campy. But yeah, I'm a I'm a fan. So feel the beat on Netflix. So we called this episode Weapon of Choice, referring to Fat Boy Slim's music video starring Christopher Walken. Uh, We're not going to deep dive into that video, but you should definitely check it out. But just music videos in general. Claire, Jen, what is your relationship of music videos? I grew up watching much music since (laughs) I'm Canadian. Um, So that was our MTV I, we didn't have MTV till we got digital cable when I was, you know, in that trash heap of an era we call the early 2000s. So, yeah, I watched like much TV. I loved um, pop up video behind the music. I've always been a fan of music videos. And I'm really excited to talk about this today because I do think as it pertains to screen dance or dance film, but also as it pertains to culture in general is 
there's so much there. So I'm just excited about all the different picks we have. And yeah, I've always been a fan, but I think today is a great opportunity to find out more about that and just the power of music videos and the variety as well. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier in the episode, um, I basically grew up on VH1. And actually, I was one of those people who were, you know, was looking up much music programs then too, like (laughs) sort of the early days of YouTube and just seeing, oh my gosh, like it was one of those like music video breakdown kinds of shows. But I also was really, um, I was a huge fan of the Beatles movies. And um, this was kind of my sort of pre-VH1. I was well, I adored A Hard Day's Night and really uh, the Can't Buy Me Love scene is still one of those like early initiations into like the world of music video culture. And and Help is also a fun movie, even if it hasn't aged well with regards to um, issues of cultural appropriation. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but yeah. And then I don't want to give the whole timeline of, you know, Claire's relationship with music videos. <laughs> I mean, we all grew up like watching some form of it, whether it was on you know, MTV, VH1. Uh, there was a station I used to watch. I don't remember what it was called. I want to say like, actually, I can't even say the name. I don't even know. It doesn't even exist anymore. And it was one of those like late mid 2000s, I would say like around like 2007, it was starting to fizzle out where it was alternative music. Uh, music videos which was very rare and I listened to that every afternoon after school and loved it it this is all pre-youtube pre-spotify pre like all of those streaming platforms I mean I'm what I don't know if you listen to the radio but I am a huge advocate for the radio and still listen to it in my house every day But, uh, I mean, that's not where I generally get my music, but I still appreciate it. Claire, you brought up a great point about the Beatles movies. Uh, What I learned, actually, the other day doing just some of my research of looking around, I mean, music videos weren't really a thing. They weren't, even though they kind of existed, they were actually called just promotional content for their, for the artist's albums that were coming out so they say like the Beatles movies were a hybrid of a music video or a musical it's a mixture of dialogue and I don't know extravaganza I remember Richard Lester who directed both um, Help and A Hard Day's Night once said um, someone or I heard in an interview somewhere that someone called me the father of MTV so I wrote them back and demanded a paternity test (laughs) (laughs) that's so good. So was he? Um, people call him that. And I mean, that <laughs> that was basically I mean, that was primarily the purpose of the Beatles movies. But unlike other sort of star driven ve- vehicles at the time, the movies themselves were actually taking artistic strides forward. Like A Hard Day's Night was one of the first films to really reap off the you know cinema verite from France and really presented that whole film you know, with four of the biggest stars on the planet as sort of like a slice of life, fly on the wall, look at four of the biggest stars on the planet. And um, Help was one of those like super colorful of the time movies that really predated sort of these um, similar type of big farcical adventure kinds of movies as well. So even though they were very much designed to sell a product, they also introduced new ways to conceive of film. For me, I this is triggering my earliest memories of obsession with music, and it was the Spice Girls. And to this day, if I see Spice World, I will stop what I'm doing and I will watch it. And music videos really do serve that function of the visual branding for the celebrity or the star. But I feel like things have evolved so much. The Originally... And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the first music video on MTV video killed the radio star? Yep. The Buggles. Right. So that was that's a statement right there. That that was the very first music video. And I always ask my students, like, even if we're just talking dance cinema, but especially if we're talking about music videos, what does that quote mean? And now I would almost say Internet killed 
the television star or internet like that doesn't have the same ring to it but you know what i mean it's <laughs> yeah it's evolved it's always been about what media is available what technology can we leverage to reach audiences and to make this celebrity look cool or attractive or powerful or creative or whatever that goal of the marketing and the brand is the music video stands in for that as a visual and in the examples we're going to talk about today with dance like this this kinesthetic visual music you can look at through the choreography and the dance music pushing the visual basically on screen what i like to call music videos is i wrote this down like pop experimental film because there's a lot of things going on but it's not I don't want to say it's not, but it's inventive, but also we've seen it before in another way. You know, you have these visuals of looking at just a video killed the radio star. You see a television getting destroyed. You see like textured, like this high threshold imagery of the singer. You're also getting like the more docu-style kind of look with just the other band members playing. It's almost like a collage all at once. I'm not saying what these are what we see today in these videos, but it was very like a magazine collage, we could say. And then there's those that are more of a stylized performance, you know, where it's very magazine. It's like airbrushed, beautiful. They're in a nice location. It's very, very well evenly lit. But it's just a performance, you know, with some cuts of them, of each band member or cut-ins from wide to close. Well, here's a question. Where and how do we draw the lines between music video, screen dance, dance film? I know that we mentioned a few episodes that there's this hierarchy of the elements and about how you can tune them and the elements of what choreography do you see, what music what visual world by way of the set or the costuming. So for me, I tend to do things on a case-by-case basis at the end of the day. The more I try and create a rule for something, I tend to find that exception right away. So do you two have a, a more definite definition of what music videos are for you versus a screen dance or a dance film? Well, I think you just described, you know, screen dance in general, like there's a rule established and then there's always an exception to that. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of or at least when I was doing workshops, when I was doing my MA, my instructors were saying like music videos don't count as screen dance because everything, all the elements are in service to the music. That's very true. And because music is the overriding factor, then the music has a hierarchy over, you know, the visual element. And, you know, since it has hierarchy over that, it has hierarchy over the choreographic element. But I think that there are some films that manage to kind of transcend that in a way where the music is just another element in the interplay with the rest in the films. A great example of that would be the film Home. First of all, I think it's a stunning film and it's available online. Um, and But it does raise a lot of questions to the way that we term these so-called music videos. Like, do we have a different association if we term it like a visual album or like, here's a short film featuring my song or something like that. So I think framing does uh, have a lot of, I, I think the term that you're framing the video with really dictates that in a way. You know, I used to think like that all the time. And I've grown so much away from that. When I was an undergrad doing my dance degree, it's so it was so hard for me to describe what the point of my thesis was. And I was just like, it's an audio visualization. That's all I could come up with because I wasn't really narrative-based at all. I didn't like movement narratives in general i just wanted like a hey the music is doing this and the movement is doing that so i mean i get it i i get where people kind of get stumped on that but if you watch closely those visual elements can be the choreography yes and i think it's about how you watch these things yes 
I think a lot of um, criticism of music videos or I guess sort of like sort of the flip side of music videos comes from thoughts related to postmodern dance where basically like it postmodernism or in dance in theory eliminates the spectacle from the performance and kind of dilutes the different elements into like the music and the dance exist in the same space but they don't necessarily exist together except by chance but at the same time like you know music is the way that a lot of people do connect into dancing and if people do get into dance a lot of them say i saw a music video or i saw like this you know piece set to music and that was my entry point in well i mean at, at anyone not even just an artist but anyone can make a dance put it on of course they wouldn't put on youtube now but they would probably put it on tiktok or they would put it on instagram live or they would just use whatever technology is available and looking throughout history we see music videos serving a different function. And now, as is so reflective of the current times that we're in, there's such a saturation of content. It's almost as if you need to be on Spotify, you need to be on YouTube, you need to have a music video for every song, a full concept video that costs thousands of dollars. Everything needs to have a similar brand. I remember someone that I got, I mean... This was a long time ago, but someone I used to be uh, really into when I first discovered them on YouTube was Lana Del Rey. And I was so interested in the fact that she was doing these, you know, she was editing and I was a video editor and I just liked how she made these moods almost. It's almost as if like a Pinterest board melded into a movie. She just makes these like mood board amalgamations of pop culture references. Now I've kind of outgrown her, but at the time I really appreciated that. And I do think that music videos can be so reflective of the time of which they're made. And I mean, now I feel as though having a Netflix documentary of your tour and having your ongoing social content, that's serving the function that music videos may be used to. Yeah. I really like how, just I guess lucrative they are I like how available they are we have a whole list of honorable mentions tonight and I think we need to dive in right away because the topic just stands you know how is dance being used in a music video and one thing I do want to mention is the MTV VMAs I mean they're the only ones that actually have a video music video award and they touch on a lot of topics. And it wasn't until 1989, they started in 1984. But in 1989, they opened up a dance category. And the first winner of that, of that section was Paula Abdul's Straight Up. And I mean, that's a great dance-centric music video. I mean, people are dancing. I mean, that tap intro is just fantastic. There's a lot of smash cuts, high contrast. I mean, the weird part that there's a flamethrower randomly in it, but you have the energy of, I mean, when you think of Paula Abdul, you think of dancing. You also think of American Idol, but she's a dancer. And then followed after was You Can't Touch With with MC Hammer, which is a classic. But then it gets a little weird, I think, personally, um, where we get these there's dance sequences or there's a dance section in the music video, which I don't know how that wins as the dance category, but, uh, you know, we have the prodigy with uh, smack my up that, that one as a dance category. And the last year for 2019 chain smokers with a uh, BB Rexo call you mine music video, just a scene of her dancing with a chair as we've become so inundated with media, we've also become desensitized to everything. I think including sexuality. Like, it is insane. What we see commonly lifted up is honestly, like, adult content. And sometimes it's straight up, like, pornographic or softcore. And it's, it's insane that this is just something that a child can easily stumble on when they're on YouTube or listening to the radio, like just the, the lyric content. And I know it's not a new problem. I know it's always going to be a thing, but as someone that teaches dance, I have to really hunt for music that's appropriate. And it's often not 
whatever's on the radio at all. Yet there are children dancing and singing to it anyways. And I think that does just come with time and with audiences becoming, like I said, desensitized to content. It has to get more extreme. It has to be more shocking. It has to be, you know, more intense in order to get any sort of attention. But then there's music videos like our first pick tonight, actually chosen by you, Jen, that is a positive message. Janet Jackson's 1989's Rhythm Nation, which definitely has a positive approach. I mean, they're dancing all together. They're fully covered, fully covered with clothing, actually kind of like a military kind of look to it. What made you pick that as a, I guess, our music video screen dance, dance example in film? I definitely think like a curator at all times, whether it's what's on my newsfeed or what's in my line of sight at my desk, like always curating and trying to organize. And so I do enjoy when we have a theme and it's time to pick something for it. So for music videos, I thought, okay, I want to pick something that isn't just a video I, I like, but maybe represents a time or something pivotal. And this just was an immediate example in my head where I thought, okay, this is, there was the music video, there was the longer format film that actually had like four videos in it. And Rhythm Nation to this day is, I would say, one of the most referenced, one of the most popular and fondly remembered and widely known dance music videos. I mean, Janet Jackson is a force. I I have to laugh when people call, don't attack me for this, but when people say that Beyonce is like a pioneer and, oh my gosh, we've never seen dancing like this, or we've never seen music videos like this, or I've had friends in the past that have said that, oh, like this is so great because there's never been an example like this. I'm thinking, hello, like Janet Jackson existed a long time before. Not to not to pin them against each other at all, but I mean, we are speaking of divas here. We are speaking of female stars that have amazing music videos and are known for their dancing and and for being these figures. And I just I'm a huge Janet Jackson fan. And there was no question in my mind that this had to be the the music video I was talking about today. Absolutely had to be. So like I mentioned, there's a longer film. And there's a shorter music video that has Rhythm Nation in it, but it is like the climax of the longer film anyway. So I typically say about dance cinema or dance film, I say that it's not a genre, it's a mode. And part of where I got that idea was that film noir is, I've been told is, and I've read is not a genre, it's a mode. And this is like both of those things. This is noir and it's dance cinema or dance film or screen dance. It's just so beautifully conceived on a production level. The choreography is amazing. The acting's good. The costuming, it just hits on all levels. And even conceptually, it's representative of Janet. I mean, speaking of how music videos are a representation of the celebrity brand and message, this really highlights so many different dancers you know even on tour i've se- i fortunately like has been able to see janet live and for rhythm nation she brought on local performers to dance on stage and her legacy dancer and of course her current cast of dancers and she's a celebrity that doesn't use dance to have objectification and just like human furniture or like this is my crew she doesn't have that weird gross power dynamic that you see with someone like like Miley Cyrus or like Ariana Grande, she's much more inclusive. And that is reflected in the in the idea to shoot this film in black and white, because Janet was saying, you know, our cast is diverse. We have people of all different skin tones. And if we film it in black and white, then in a way, we're all the same or we're a little closer. Not we're all the same, but we're all we're all shot in the same sort of spectrum versus that vivid contrast. And it it's reflective of her her overall message of inclusivity and wanting to be that kind generous leader who is amazing and a force but isn't a diva and and isn't exclusive again it all comes back to what the song is about 
Yeah. I mean, and looking at Janet Jackson's videos now, it's just incredible to see how far ahead of her time she was as far as not only the music video content, but also the image that she presents and how much she holds space. There's a very interesting article by Melissa Blanco Borelli called Dancing in Music Videos or How I Learned to Dance Like Janet, which analyzes the process of transmission of the music video material to the general public. And she has this interesting statement. I do not claim that there's a fully knowable self-present in music videos, but what is available is a branded performance that resurfaces and is made real each time it's witnessed on the popular screen, reinterpreted by the performer for a live audience at a concert or award show, or reenacted by fans in dance classes and different size screens in living rooms, classrooms, and bedrooms. This dance exists in the space of the film. It um, exists in this world. But the dance is also something that can be almost removed and transmitted in a certain way. Kind of like TikTok. <laughs> I feel like all of these kinds of dances, specifically looking at this film, Rhythm Nation, but also a lot of 90s, late 2000s pop bands, you know, we have that like a proscenium kind of space we could say i mean they're always frontal facing it can be transmitted to other bodies i mean i was watching a uh, dirty pop before we started and it's a fantastic video editing wise like i wish i was that editor when that video came out it did win um a v the vma's best dance video again not sure why because the editing should have won that Britney Spears, NSYNC, all of those kind of musicians have that kind of proscenium presence, um, which is very digestible. Again, you know, you're like, you're watching the celebrities dance. But again, with Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation video, you got her front and center. Obviously, she's like the captain of this republic of change. She's the Rhythm Nation coming your way. But... At the same time, there's these little smash cuts or there's like just a section in it where there's three different dancers literally doing tricks, which is a little extra. But for that time, it's that wow factor of like, look at these dancers. They have skill. I mean, that kind of gets you excited about dancing. And it's her like not being like in the camera the whole video, too, which is pretty great too for a pop star because like you're saying it's usually about that focal point with the this one celebrity oh yeah for sure yeah speaking of editing this film i think could be reshot edited exactly the way it is just completely remade today and it would still be amazing it is absolutely timeless genius i love the coverage they got the angles Take the film alone, the entire film is amazing, but just looking at this specific scene, the kinetic editing, the fact it's cutting on the beat, you're getting these different angles that suit the music at that time. You get the variety of seeing different dancers. It's choreographed for that space. It is probably my favorite dance film ever shot in a warehouse. I would think <laughs> I would think. Factory, I would say, because of all the steam and... Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's like, a, it's, yeah, you're right. It's beyond a warehouse. I honestly thought it was a little weird for like, I don't know, this military band of people dancing in a factory. I'm like, why? <laughs> you're like, but why are you guys here? <laughs> well, film exists with its own logic. and Exactly. <laughs> so I got to give it to them there. Can't question everything. The last thing I'll say about that film is Rhythm Nation, the song starts. There's like that hit. Even if I could impersonate it or try and sing it, I'd probably destroy my voice trying to do that sound. But anyways, she opens this door. It's like a rooftop exit. She opens the door on the first hit in the music. And to me, that is a metaphor for Janet. She doesn't stop at the ceiling. She's dancing on the roof. Like she's there. Trailblazer. Pioneer and sorry, Beehive. Janet, Janet's the original. Well, going into our celebratory, not always about the artist theme here, 
we also have Around the World by Daft Punk, a very experimental but also simple presence. Yet also, after watching Michelle Gondry, who directed this music video, had a very meticulous idea in mind. So I actually first encountered this video when I was in college and uh, we were actually learning about composition with music and specifically composition with fugal forms, where you have multiple voices and sort of like a contrapuntal arrangement. And this is a very um, great learning tool for students to learn how to choreograph to the music because each, you know, each group of dancers represents a different instrument. Brief description of the video. It's essentially, I, I call it like advanced DIY. It's a very fancy music video set with a series of stairs, but like the costumes look like they are all bought at Party City. Which is very Michelle Gondry, Michelle Gondry's like aesthetic. If you know his films, you would know just to name a few Eternal Sunshine, The Science of Sleep. You know what I'm saying. You know what? Love songs for robots, Patrick Watson's music video. I didn't realize that he did features. Oh, he did the show Just Kidding with Jim Carrey that I have not seen, but I want to see. Right. Another one is um, he does a lot of uh, Chemical Brothers songs and Star Guitar is one that's so simple, but always like, how did you do that? Simple, complex, beautiful. It's definitely a sensory overload, but it's very simple as far as its construction goes. Like we have five groups of dancers, a group of mummies that represents the drums, a group of small headed, big shouldered monster people that represent the bass, a group of disco swimmers who are um, the keyboards, group of skeletons that are the guitar, and then the bass men who are the vocoder, who are essentially representing the, the voices of Daft Punk and I guess, most closely resembled Daft Punk, too. Yeah, they have the helmets, but I love that touch with the antennas that kind of make them like an alien because that this they're like the vote. They are the vocals, but they have that alien kind of sound to it. It's a pretty simple, pretty digestible video. It's a very easy song to memorize. Yes, we're not going to sing it as much as we want to. We're respecting the license rights. But something um, watching this video and something that I was reflecting on as far as watching other music videos go is that from the time I you know, started learning about Michel Gondry and especially learning about this video, I just assumed that the whole concept brainchild of this video stemmed from Michel Gondry. And looking into the process, I mean, I learned that he actually created the spatial relationships of the dancers but someone else created the movement. And it was insanely hard to figure out that Blanca Lee actually choreographed the movement. And her role as choreographer, and honestly, the roles here as the choreographer are kind of unclear. According to Gondry, um, Blanca Lee was there to, quote, finesse the movement, which it's hard to know what that means. Like, did he actually come up with the spatial patterns and then she you know has like the details or did she just say i want the dancers here blanca lee is actually a very interesting choreographer like she has a movement language that kind of encompasses everything <laughs> like she trained with martha graham and alvin ailey and merce cunningham in new york and was in new york when hip-hop was starting to emerge in harlem so she has a bit of a hip-hop vocabulary too but it left a huge question as far as ownership in music videos go and sort of who gets the credit for what we see and what names are usually left out. And usually the name that's left out is the choreographer's name. Which is so unfortunate. I mean, like Jen just said, the editor gets left out a lot. I mean, it was really hard to look up uh, honorable mention again, gossip, uh, not gossip folks, honorable mention again, uh, lose control, Missy Elliott, could not find the choreographer. Did you did you find the choreographer? I don't know for sure, but I, I can imagine her doing that. Like as opposed to like Janet, who I didn't know this, is not a trained dancer, but she's great. And I think that that's something that's super satisfying is that she's such an amazing dancer. And I mean, not to get back into that video, but <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's interesting to also think about are these trained bodies or not? And for for around the world, these are the movement and the choreography. I would say as long as you can keep a beat, 
and you're somewhat coordinated, you could probably do this choreography. I feel like some of a lot of those people are trained dancers. I mean, the people with the big, tall people outfits, I mean, they have really good, um, oh man, undulations and just very good isolations too. That's what I was looking for, the word isolations. And also just like the mummies and the disco dancers. I like to think of them as like, yeah, like synchronized swimmers. They're very synchronized. The skeletons, they remind me of like the silly symphonies from Disney. I mean, it's all reminiscent in some kind of way, but I think I think they nail it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where the choreography is simple, but it's done very clearly and with total control. Like, I mean, that isolation, again, that's a very simple move, but that's something that, you know, develops, you you develop that with practice. You develop that clarity with practice. And similarly, like with the with the mummies, like I can I can even hear like a teacher saying like lengthen the rib cage, lengthen the rib cage. And again, that's something that's only cultivated if you've, you know, been in your body yeah, and you're you're trained in your body and you make a living, you know, off of performing with your body too. But it also raises the questions, and this is something that's that applies to other areas of screen dance as well. As far as like, what do we mean by choreography and specifically like, who do we mean by choreographer? Like, is the choreography the movie, we, the moving we see in front of the camera? Is it the editing, like the rhythm of the editing? Is it like the relationship of the camera versus the dancer? So those lines get very blurred. And so if someone comes on as a choreographer, often their work gets quite buried because the other elements tend to take over yeah i mean i think everything is choreographed when we're watching these music videos i mean there's some kind of direction within the process as well as some improvisation investigation situation yeah which is choreography i argue that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i mean there's specifics you know the lights have to go with this part of the song or uh, the camera has to move this way to emulate the bass, not the baseline, but, you know, that droning effect. It's all it's all movement in the end. So, Claire, with this, we could say this is like a visualization of each stem in the song. Do you think that this video can survive on its own, maybe to a different song or by itself? I think it could work as a silent film. I think that if you actually take the music out and you have it scored just silently, you can still get a good sense of what the rhythm of the song is. And maybe it generates its own rhythm. Maybe the rhythm that it generates is something that departs from the song. But if you score another track in there, something interesting might happen. And I think that it's interesting when music videos actually counterpoint the song. I think that there's a very something very interesting that results. There's a video by Mitski for the song Geyser, which is a very, very swelling, very sweeping, huge song. But the video is very minimal. Like it's shot in a very low light beach and the camera backs away from her so far that she's like getting tinier and tinier as the music is swelling. And I think that there's some interesting moments that happen when the image is actually, you know, presenting something opposite of what the song is presenting. I wonder if with Around the World, like, if it would work that much better or if it would totally clash just because it's so specifically done to music. One of my favorite childhood pastimes, aside from, sorry, mom, faking sick, faking sick, so I could stay home, rewind, and organize the VHSs, was playing the TV on mute and then playing music on the radio and just finding random stations and trying to see what kind of remixes. Of course, I would turn into an editor, right? But I wonder if this music video, I do like the idea of trying it with different songs just because it is, to the song it's choreographed to is music to our eyes. It's so specific that I bet it would work pretty well with songs that are similarly structured, I mean, that's like a classic film sound class, you know, you're, let's watch the scene four 
times to different songs and see what emotions emulate it. And it's a classic choreographic technique, too. Like, I think there's a famous example of, like, Twilight Tharp choreographing a piece to Bach and then, like, two weeks before the performance, switching it to Beach Boys. But, like, the Bach score gave the piece its structure. Well, our last pick, Feist, My Moon, My Man, I have the same questions, too. Can the music video survive without the music? I personally say yes. I think this is a very cinematic. I would say maybe the most cinematic out of the three music videos that we've chosen, just because Jen, yours is like a classic pop, dance-focused, proscenium, transmitting to the body, to other bodies kind of music video. Claire, yours is like the alternative, also a visualization of what sound is being shown not through a VFX graphic. It's actually through the body where this one is much more playing with light, playing with depth of the space. There's a narrative to it as it stands alone as a music video. I think it can work. I think if Feist, the artist, was not singing, it could work as something because of that narrative presence. I'm in love with this music video. This music video is actually directed by Patrick Daughters, came out in 2007, choreographed by Noemi LaFrance, who actually also, this duo, did the 1234 music video. And if you guys don't remember, check it out. They're wearing, it's all rainbow. There's a lot of people. It's a one take. Uh, the iPod Nano commercial. Look at the Apple archives. It's a great song. But I really, I picked this one just because of its cinematic presence. And I think it's great. I, I like where it took place in the airport. There's a lot of pedestrian movement that's in a cool way. Because when we think of Feist, she's like a cool alternative artist, also Canadian, with this like kind of French flair to it. When we were talking about brand earlier, I feel like Noemi LaFrance's choreography transmits very well to Feist. It's very low-key. It's very... I don't know, relaxed in a way. A great choreographer that's doing, quote unquote, doing their job is going to make whoever they're choreographing on look their best, whatever their best means in the context of what they're creating. And definitely this choreography suits Feist. It, it's, it feels like her. I, I think it's really a great collaboration. And I didn't expect her to throw down like she does. Like there's two clear sections where she's dancing. She like with the with other dancers. And I was really impressed because at the start, I thought this is going to be cool. She's on a moving walkway. I didn't expect her to stay on it for most of the video. And that alone, I actually lose track watching it, which I enjoy. A word I think of for this music video is intriguing. I'm I was actually intrigued watching it actively trying to figure it out and completely failing at it and then having to resign. But like, okay, I'll just, I'll just watch it because I certainly can't figure it out at all. There's one part where I'm wondering what you two think. Do you think that there's a couple times where there's a crossover and it's really quick and it's like just so perfect with the music and it would have to be so perfectly executed? And I know they did a great job, but do you think that there was some post-production like manipulation... Because it came out when? 2009? 2009, 2007. I wasn't clear on where, what year it came out. The song came out in 2007, so... Oh, okay. But, like, they had, they had the means to do some fancy stuff, even though it's choreographed so well. But what do you guys think? I, I mean, I know that the lights, the part when the lights go on and off and it's just pure chaos on screen, that is actual light. That is not an editing trick right there. I mean, and as you can see, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of people in the space. So I can see where you think it could be editing, but 
I don't know. The one, two, three, four music video was all one shot and all in camera. There was also even that rotating part when they're moving the camera in a circle, like that was in camera. They were like, oh, look what this function can do. And she said that when I was able to take her class back a few years back. And I think this was a pure challenge on my belief. I can't remember when she talked about it or not, but I think it was a pure challenge. Yeah, it looks like that to me too. And I think it's interesting knowing, I don't know a whole lot about Nomi LaFrance, but I do know that she does a lot of site-specific material. And this was a very interesting um, example of like a site-specific kind of choreography because there were moments like where you can see Feist, you know, doing sort of doing some movement going down the walkway and then trying to do it up the walkway and having some difficulty. And I actually found that difference in quality very interesting. But yeah, I do love this video. I love the moments when we see um, the other performers reflected in the window. And again, sort of like this triggering of the postmodern idea that I think that if anything from postmodern dance has crossed back into the mainstream, it is the use of pedestrian movement. And Again, like a choreographer who knows the dancers that they're working with and is able to adjust accordingly. That being said, I'm not exactly sure if music videos are the best representation of a choreographer's work, considering that they are doing it for a specific purpose. Like today was the day I learned that Wayne McGregor choreographed the Lotus Flower video. I would have never, ever pinned it on him. Wow. I did not know that either. I knew it was choreographed, but I did not know that was him. It's kind of like when Hannah said Steven Soderbergh directed Magic Mike. And I was like, I haven't thought about who directed Magic Mike. But now that I know it's the same person that did this other stuff, I'm so confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey, man, some people want to make a paycheck or someone wants to do something different. Got to pay the bills. Yeah, he's making his movie so he can make his film. That's a great point, though, Claire, bringing up postmodern dance. I mean, this is we're now jumping into alternative music. I feel like as like mid 2000s to present, we've seen a lot of dance in music videos within the alternative music spectrum. Nowadays, we're seeing artists like... Billie Eilish, and she has a dance background using choreography within her work. We have to mention the OK Go music video on the treadmills, which is like a similar take of uh, My Moon, My Man. But I feel like with that was more tricks and play of like how we can move. We also have Tune Yards. We have Sylvanesso. We got Maggie Rogers, Francis and the Lights, The XX, their song Islands with um, directed by Sam. We got Bjork. I mean, Spike Jones has, like we said, wep- weapon of choice. He's also directed uh, numerous music videos that also use dance. And then um, just a, one more to throw it out there, FK Twigs. So the OK Go video plus, it's like My Moon, My Man plus OK Go equals Around the World. Kind Ooh. of. Like they're similar. I- I can see that. Yes. There's like this revolving door kind of quality to it. I mean, it's that that bass or that beat that just keeps going almost like a metronome. I'm doing the movement. It's like a metronome that just keeps going. And that brings us the rhythm of walking almost. What you said about what you said, Hannah, about Feist and this video suiting her is so true. I think even... It's such a simple narrative. She's on the walkway at the airport and she basically, the way I interpret it, she just has a daydream. Just listening to music in her head, little digression, and then off to catch her plane. It's almost like this stretched time, just this, this daydream. And I feel like that's kind of how her music is. It's not party music. It's not, you know, it's very jammy and chill. And I feel like this film almost, if music videos sell something or are portraying something, this almost is portraying like, yeah, you can just listen to Feist too. Like she listens to Feist. Even Feist listens to Feist in the airport. She's just hanging out on her iPod Nano. (laughs) 
I so miss classic iPods. I mean, iPod, hey, I I still have mine. Oh, I'm jealous. Still works. It's something that I lament about the way things go now. Like things are just getting sucked into the cloud. Like everything lives on the cloud. And I have so many files on hard drives. I might have dropped one a couple of weeks ago that was traumatizing. So of course I didn't have it backed up. But things move into the cloud and this physical media is lost. And I really like reminiscing on how things used to be made, how we take in different media and just how technology intersects with that. Because I can so remember the click wheel sound of the iPod and what that relationship with your music is like. And it's always been inextricably linked to whether it was the radio or the television um, or now the internet. I just feel like we've kind of crossed a threshold where we don't have new physical media in the same way we used to. Like you can still get the old physical media, but not the new stuff. Yeah. It's so rare nowadays to, catch a music video on the television i mean we now as we edit work put it onto platforms like vimeo or youtube and think of how many music videos there are now than you know than 10 years ago no take that back 20 years ago my bad it is way 10 years ago just went by so quickly I feel like any time in my life I ever hear Noemi LaFrance, I'm going to remember this. So I was talking about Noemi LaFrance in a class and one of my students who was supposed to actually present on her that day, she has this disclaimer before a presentation. It was hilarious. She's like, okay, before I start, I just want to warn everyone that this woman is a ghost. She does not exist. She doesn't even have Instagram. I don't know. So this is going to be a quick presentation. I like almost wasn't even disappointed just because it was so funny, but took the opportunity to immediately pull up the music videos. And in the scope of choreographers, you look at people that are known for different things. I think Noemi LaFrance is someone who is well known, is someone that has a big audience and and a name. And is more recent. And at at this point, I feel like she would be someone who you would recognize. We were speaking of who gets recognized in a film or in a collaboration. I think she's someone who would get recognized if she did any other work. It would it would be like, oh, she did this choreography. I think Ryan Heffington's another one that I was going to talk about Sia's videos today, but decide to go with Rhythm Nation. But I think Ryan Heffington's another one where you recognize the choreography. It's an, a, a draw to see the, the music video. And it's something that becomes more of a household name, even though people don't normally know choreographers like that. And Claire, I think you have an honorable mention to Mimi Cave. And I believe she's also San Francisco based with the Business Tune Yards music video. And she has... She's become, I I think, a household name in the music video audience uh, within the alternative realm. I've been following her on Vimeo for a while, and I love what she's making. It's no accident that a lot of music video directors do end up getting feature films eventually. Like, Mimi Cave actually is just just signed on to direct her first feature. But, um... Yeah, I mean, there's a personal connection here because I do know a lot of dancers in that business video and I'm a big Tune Yards fan. But Mimi is does come from a dance background and she used to be very involved in the San Francisco dance community. So, I mean, she is coming in as, you know, she is coming in with a choreographer's eye to uh, to her videos, which I think is um, very, very appreciated. And also just shout outs to all of the uh, choreographers who are also working with rappers and female rappers. Again, Misa Elliott, I mean, people who work with Beyonce, people who work with Nicki Minaj. Cardi B doesn't do too much movement, um, but like Ciara. But again, like 
if you know those choreographers, we want to hear more about them. I am really curious about the Loose Control music video, um, the people who work with Ciara, because she's also a really great dancer in her work. This will not be our last music video episode. I feel like there will be many times that we will talk about music videos and perhaps future discussions where we deep dive into some specific selections because really, how can we talk about movies or dance film or screen dance without talking about music videos? I think we had a good start today, but there there are endless ways these discussions can go. Thank you for picking these awesome selections. I know I was, it's an honor to talk about Rhythm Nation, even just, even just dipping our toes in it. And then I always just learn so much when the three of us talk. So thank you for bringing in your facts, your research, your insights. And I mean, I think I say it every week. Your je ne sais quoi. Exactly. I love how our picks kind of reflect who we are. It's like sharing a little piece of ourselves. And it's one thing to, to share our perspective or idea on something. It's another thing to point to an audiovisual representation saying, this is something that just sits well with me. This is something that appeals to my tastes and then discuss it from there. So thank you, too. Yeah. And I mean, and on a personal level, like just the process of just going into these videos and just picking these videos and rewatching them again has been like very informative for me. So, sort of seeing like what's sort of like what was the roadmap to where I am today. So this is, you know, th- I mean, thank you guys again. This is um, it's always a pleasure to to talk with you guys and nerd out a little bit. All right. So my pick of the week is actually an Instagram page from Amy LaJoie. Amy is an actress based in Southern California, but she also, like many artists, um, side hustles by working on film sets. And she's made a collection of videos, both TikTok and Instagram based videos um, depicting different members of the film crew. So like there's a TikTok video where she um, basically it's it's basically like a runway show of different people that you'd see on film sets from the people you'd expect, like the actors and the directors. And then some people that maybe if you're not familiar with film, you might not expect. But if you have worked on a set, you've definitely seen that person like you've definitely seen the creepy grip. The, the grip who's seen some stuff. Yeah, that's my favorite. The grip, <laughs> the, um, the focus puller. <laughs> the DIT is so, so true to heart. It hurts me how true it is because I act like a DIT at my work. <laughs> um, I, I'm not like that shy, but like if I was on a set, I'd probably be exactly that type, just kind of like hiding and being like, uh, does anyone want to hand me a card, <laughs> like a memory card? Yeah, I think it'd be a great uh, channel to show any intro to film production students. Just to under, it's like visual flashcards. Yes. Like, not only is this what this person does, but here's what they would typically wear, and here's their catchphrase. Ah, oh, I love that. I definitely, if I go back into teaching, teaching, I will totally show that. Thank you, You're welcome. Jen. Thank you, Claire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do want to mention she also has other videos called like, well, Stuff AD Say or Stuff Wardrobe Says. And the AD video was, I mean, the AD one was way too close to heart because that's like a role that I've filled quite a bit and almost never have I gone into a film production like with the understanding that will be my role. Like it usually is, oh, someone's bringing their ankle. You're the AD now. What's an AD? I'll just figure it out. You're going to A the D. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I started working like as an extra, we've talked about this past before, but when I was working as an extra, like I didn't know what an AD was and, and I didn't know what crafty was at first. Like I wasn't in film school yet. I was just like, Wandering around, be like, oh, yeah, go to Crafty. The Crafty's pretty good on this set, huh? And I'm like, I I don't know. I'm just going to I'm just going to read and avoid eye contact and wait to be called. God, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. But overall, these videos just made me miss being on film sets and sort of like the 
weird world that encompasses like the space time of film sets too. Awesome. And if you want to check her out, the link is in the show notes. All of the links are in the show notes of all the films that we talked about today. Uh, please be sure to check that out. And that's our show. Um, thank you, listeners. Thank you, Jen Ray. Thank you, Claire Schweitzer. Thank you, myself. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram where we post when the new show is out. And that is Frameform Pod. That is Frameform P O D. And feel free to reach out to us. Our email is frameformpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. See you next week, nerds. See ya. Frameform is a production of Rixie. Hosted by me, Hannah Weber, Claire Schweitzer, and Jen Wright. Edited and mixed by myself and Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.